you know, this is as old as there was a guy two rows in front of me watching it on his watchman. You remember the little Sony wow. watchman? Mm. You're <laughs> and, dating yourself. And giving everybody updates of what's going on. <laughs> It's time for the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast. Coming at you every week to talk all the things that make us love sports. The games, the rivalries, and of course, the personalities. We are stoked that you are listening. Uh, We believe that you're more than listeners. Uh, To quote Brian Kelly, you're family. And we're glad that you're listening to us. Absolutely. Welcome back, sports fans. It's April 25th, and you are here with the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Darren Shavers, the one and the only never copied, often imitated, but never actually copied guru of, of sports podcasting. Oh. <laughs> I, was, I was prepared for of nothing, but thank you. That'll <laughs> Now, you, you, you know, you grew up in Tennessee. You know this. In the South, you've got to wait a few seconds. It's like a, a video delay because someone will be talking and they'll pause. And if you're not used to it, you think, oh, they're done. <laughs> and you start talking and then they continue their sentence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to start with the NFL where the, the draft is this coming Thursday. Always a big event. This year Absolutely. it's in Kansas City. Which is awesome. So... Looking forward to it. Yep. As you look at all the players of all the teams, as everybody's trying to meet their needs, it's it's interesting, Darren, that um, there's some speculation about who's going to go first in terms of a quarterback. It looks like the Texans, who have the first pick, are going to go with a quarterback. Yes. Who, who are they going to take? Well, you know, I think most people think it's going to be C.J. Stroud, but I, I also think it's very interesting when you look at all of the conversation that uh, Will Levis and Bryce Young both are very much in the conversation. It, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if there were two to three quarterbacks taken in the first 10 to 12 picks, and two of those three would be Bryce Young and Will Levis. I think it's very much going to be an SEC heavy, no matter what position, an SEC heavy top 10 to 15 picks. But I think especially in quarterback, I think the argument can be made more for Bryce Young than Will Levis. I think he could probably be standing as clear, clearing away number one uh, if his last season would have went the way the season before last. There were just so many ups and downs. I think very obviously after we saw the coordinator change made at Kentucky, he was in the wrong system. It didn't work out for anybody, so that hurt him overall. But I think he'll probably still end up – I've seen uh, some conversations even with him going to uh, ahead of Bryce Young as far as quarterbacks go. So it'll be interesting to watch. Like I said, most people still think it's going to be C.J. Stroud, but there's still a conversation out there that the SEC guys could, could jump up and take that spot depending on exactly what they're looking for. So You mentioned Will Levis and, and the problem when you bring in a new offensive yep, coordinator, yep. which is the has been the death of many quarterbacks Absolutely. in college and, and as well as, yep. as, as the NFL. I noticed you didn't mention Anthony Richardson from Florida. Any reason why? <laughs> All right, well, clear your schedule. I got plenty to sit now. It just amazes me when you look at his measurables. He is unfathomable. I mean, if you want to be honest, when you look at how tall he is, how big he is, how fast he can run, how high he can jump, how far he can jump, 
I mean, it truthfully is just about beyond comprehension. And I do see when you get everybody in the combine, how you go, oh man, that dude, I mean, that dude's a, a middle linebacker with, with quarterback feet. How are you not intrigued by that? But that's not all there is to quarterback. And I don't care. It, it doesn't have anything to do with him individually as a person. If you watch the last season on any given day, when they came out, it could be a day where you talked about growing up in Tennessee. To use the old Tennessee saying that I grew up with, he couldn't hit a broadside of a barn if he was standing beside it. And to me, if I'm a GM or a head coach of a football team, that my future, I mean, a bad quarterback draft can be the reason you're looking for a job in three to five years. Well, three years in, in today's NFL. And if I'm a GM or a head coach, there's no way in this world that I'm taking that chance. Because, yeah, is he impressive? Absolutely. Could he could he potentially do things in a meeting room that blow? Oh, man, this guy gets an offense. This guy gets a defense. Absolutely. All those things are very valid. But if you're a quarterback and you can't throw, you're not a quarterback. So I don't get it. <laughs> That's the reason he's not in my conversation. I don't understand it. You know, there's another quarterback out of Florida. The knock on him was he wasn't that good of a passer Tim Tebow. Exactly. Do you exactly. see similarities here? I think I think Tim Tebow had more pure quarterback ability. Anthony Richardson, just pure uh, athletic ability. You can't – I mean, there, there's probably not a more pure athlete going to be on the draft board uh, uh, this year than him. But when you look at – Tebow had that natural feel that even though there were, there were mechanic issues, uh, mechanical issues and how he threw the ball – you know, the, the long release, bringing the ball down from his hip, all those things that people constantly fussed about. At the end of the day, even if it looked ugly, he somehow or another managed to get it to the guy it was supposed to go to. I think that's the difference. With Richardson, he honestly may throw a 60-yard tight spiral like you've never seen a quarterback throw before. But... It may not be within 10 yards of anybody that he was trying to throw it to. At the same time, the very next play, he could roll out to the left or roll out to the right, try to throw a little bit across his body and dink it off the center's head. Neither one of those work. (laughs) So I, I think that would be the difference in those two. Pure athlete, absolutely. He's got the edge. But I think from just the, the intangibles of being a quarterback, and even if it looked ugly, being able to get it done, I, I think that would be where Tim Tebow would have the edge and and would make a little bit more sense if you were to be able to draft either one of those today, would make a little bit more sense as a draft pick. It, it's challenging finding the, the right quarterback oh, because absolutely. there's so many factors that go into mm-hmm. it. You, you mm-hmm. look at the physical. Does he check all the marks physical? Do you look at the football IQ? Mm-hmm. How does he – is he a student of the game? Right. What kind of decisions does he make? And it makes me think back to the whole Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning debate about who should have gone first in that draft. Yeah. And we saw two careers go in opposite directions. And, and you know, and it may be a bias of, of being in the South and being in Tennessee when all of that happened. But to me, it wasn't really a surprise how it went down. When you've watched... You know, I, I had to watch Peyton Manning play every Saturday. You know, it was the featured game anywhere and everywhere in Tennessee. So you watch Peyton Manning play every single Saturday. 
Uh, I still remember I was sitting at the, um, I was at a Vanderbilt game when the two quarterbacks in front of him got hurt his freshman year. And everybody's talking about, oh, Peyton Manning's playing. And there's people, you know, this is as old as old. There was a guy two rows in front of me watching it on his watchman. You remember the little Sony (laughs) watchman? You're dating yourself. And giving everybody updates of what's going on. (laughs) Uh, So, when you watch Peyton Manning play like that, to me it was a is a it was a no brainer that his career was going to go in the direction it went and be a superior career to Ryan Leaf. That that one's always kind of blew my mind as well. Mm-hmm. Trivia question for you. Okay. Think of coaches in the NCAA, not just the SEC, not just the Big Twelve, but coaches in the history of the NCAA. Who've never won, or I mean, who have won championships, but have never had a player drafted first overall at the NFL draft? Hmm. Well, to me, just because we spent all last year uh, talking about the difficulty of his offense, I would think maybe Jimbo. What do you think? No? Good guess. Okay. Good all guess. Right. Uh, by the way, Jimbo won at Florida State. Yep. Hasn't won much in the SEC. Right. Nick Saban. Has never had a, a number one overall pick. Wow. Never. Never. I find that hard to even comprehend. I mean, you would think with all the – I mean, there would be a defensive tackle somewhere you know, or something. That's interesting. Wow. I did not know that. A little trivia for this Absolutely. Tuesday. Speaking of teams making moves in mm-hmm. anticipation of the NFL draft – uh, Monday night, the word got out, Aaron Rodgers' trade is official. What has been the worst-kept secret? In fact, <laughs> he even said, I'm going to the Jets. Exactly. So the two clubs, the Jets and the Packers, had to work out trade details. The, the Jets get the number one or the number 15th pick overall in the first round this year, as well as the 170th pick, which I think is the fifth round. The Packers get the number 13 this year, the number 14 this year, a second-round pick. Uh, and pick number 207, <laughs> well, there you which go. is a six-round pick. Yeah. And they get a conditional second-round pick in 2024, which could become a first-round pick if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% or more of snaps for the Jets. So he's got to actually be on the field. Exactly. And now it's interesting, you pointed out before we started recording that uh, the clip you saw Schefter is the one that kind of broke the news. Yes, on air. And I find that very interesting because, you know, when this whole thing first started, Schefter and Aaron Rodgers had a little bit of a back and forth where Schefter texted him and said, um, you know, can I break the story or something like that? Will you let me break the story? And Aaron Rodgers basically responded and said, uh, no way, don't know how you got my number, but forget my number. He just doesn't like giving... Uh, the, those those large media guys, that kind of stuff. And then he talked about it in an interview, and Schefter tweeted it out, a screenshot of it, and said, yep, true story. That's what he said. But then when it was all said and done, Schefter is the one that breaks the story. So that's pretty mm. interesting. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was a segment, I think it was NFL Live, and Laura Rutledge is talking, and she's asking uh, Schefter a question about something else. And, and as he is formulating his response – he looks down on his phone and he goes, we got breaking news. That's awesome. 
That didn't Schefter's, happen 20 years ago. Schefter's good with that stuff, man. He's awesome to watch just for that very – and a great follow on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the Aaron Rodgers deal is finally done. The Jets got their quarterback. Yep. Uh, they probably need to review their offensive line to make sure he can play 65% <laughs> of the snaps. Let's go over to college football where the big news Monday, and I don't know if this is a record or not, but Colorado had 15 players enter the transfer portal. That's unreal. Now, when you look at this, Darren, there's a couple of different ways to view this. Mm -hmm. Is Deion Sanders imploding? Is, is, Is this bad news for Colorado? Or is Deion getting the guys out that he doesn't want to make room for the guys he wants there. How, how do you read this? You know, I think it's a simple matter of cleaning house. And I don't say that dismissively in a way that makes it, uh, you know, no big deal. Because it's unfortunate for the guys that are there, committed there, have played there two or three, you know, four years, whatever the case is. Uh, and it's a, it's an unfortunate circumstance for them. But I think it that almost has to be what it is. Because when you look at kind of the way things have went down, you know, if you look at, there's already been pictures today out on social media of the Colorado spring game this year versus last year. Uh, last year, I think they had eight people uh, <laughs> that, that attended. And this year, the entire stadium was full. Yeah. Yeah. And it was an exciting thing. So if you're a player and you're going to get playing time, there's nothing about that that you're walking away from. Just the fact that, that Deion Sanders is the head coach and is going to create the amount of attention he does as a player, that's going to increase your NIL possibilities. So if you're going to get playing time, you're increasing your NIL possibilities, there's nothing to walk away from. However, you know, on the very first day when Dion was announced as the head coach, his son is still technically enrolled at Jackson State in Jackson, Mississippi, and he turns around and points at him and said, here's your starting quarterback. So right, wrong, or indifferent, when Dion decides who his – core is going to be, he's probably not going to change his mind. So I'm assuming that most of those 15 players, uh, if not all of those 15 players, have kind of gotten the the hint <laughs> that they are not part of that core, so they're moving on. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, he's going to be extremely active in the transfer portal, already has been. So maybe those guys see the writing on the wall, and they're not going to get what they want out of it, so they're He's cleaning house one way or the other, I think, is what's going down. It reminds me a little bit of, you remember the movie Hoosiers? Oh, yeah, yeah. Coach Dale, Norman Dale, mm-hmm. he, uh, at one point, he plays uh, a part of a game with four players. With four guys, yeah, yeah. And he has one on the bench he can bring in, but he's got his guys out there. Yeah. He was making a point, and <laughs> I wonder if, if this is what, like you said, if this is what Dion is doing. And, and you know, all all we can do is watch and see what happens. But, but he, whatever his formula is, it worked at Jackson State, uh, and you know, elevated that program and elevated him in his career to now he's sitting here at Colorado. So in a in a D one deal. So, I, I mean, he's using his method, and we're just going to see if it works. It's definitely keeping the attention on Colorado. Exactly. So marketing people everywhere are like this is brilliant. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's uh, let's uh, also mention a rule change that came down a few days ago, and and that is in Division One and Division Two football. After a first down, the clock will continue to run. Yeah, like it or not, Darren. I haven't I haven't made up my mind yet. 
to me, I, I don't see the point, ultimately. I mean, this is a rule that's been in place since 1968, uh, that the clock is stopped after a first down. All the rule changes, that the emphasis has been player safety. That's been the conversation. Whether it's truthfully what's behind it, ultimately, that's been the conversation. If you decrease the amount of plays that take place during the process of a game, then you ultimately decrease the opportunity for player injury. So all the numbers that have been ran, what everyone has talked about, is most likely, on average, this will reduce the amount of plays per game by about seven plays. I don't get it. To me, this is, if I'm going to go after something that's that's this much a part of the game, I mean, that's not even a reduction of 10% in most games today. And I mean, you look at Big 12 and Pac-12, it's barely 5%, you know, with the amount of offensive plays that they run. To me, it doesn't fit the very thing they're saying. This is all about player safety, so we're going to reduce seven plays. In some games, it won't even be that. That's the max from most experts, the way it looks. I don't. I haven't completely made up my mind yet, but my initial reaction is, why? I, I don't. I don't think it serves anything that you say it's going to. So why even go there? I, I wonder across the board, sports, uh, whether it's baseball or basketball or football, finding ways to speed up the game. Mm-hmm. Is this an attempt to to reconnect with a younger generation that is growing up on social media and thirty second videos mm-hmm. and? And they don't have a long attention span. I think that very much has something to do with it. Even when you look at what they're doing with baseball, both college and pro, uh, you know, you're very much shortening the the length of the game. But that's also a very fine line to dance, because when you start looking at it, especially from the perspective of D1 college football, you start shortening the game. What you're also doing is eliminating the amount of commercial breaks. Mm. And when you eliminate commercial breaks. You're eliminating revenue opportunities, and you're eliminating you're you're continuously uh, shrinking the size of those checks that all the schools get get from those conference media deals. So that's a very fine line to dance. But I also think it's an important thing that they have to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, staying within college football, ESPN has released its first power index. For the upcoming season, and we have five teams on it, Darren, and and who are the five? So our top, well, let's go with our our top five teams, and it's going to be interesting to see where uh, all of these are, uh, what conferences they are located in, all right? So number one is Ohio State, number two, Alabama, number three, Georgia, number four, LSU, and number five is Texas. So... We've already um, moved Texas over into the SEC, regardless if everybody else is a year behind. So in the very (laughs) first football power index from ESPN, and they have an algorithm and don't release it and all that, so we don't know exactly where where the numbers come from, but four of the top five teams are SEC teams, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Texas. And it's really interesting when you go from this time last year all of the conversation about LSU and Brian Kelly to now they're number four in the very first FPI from, from ESPN. That's an interesting, that's, you're talking about a big swing in less than a year. That's a big swing. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about dominating yet another poll, and nope. we're not even talking about baseball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so kudos to that 
whatever that list means for yeah, those schools. Exactly. Um, you know, the the proof is when the the games resume next fall, we'll see who steps up yep. and who doesn't. Absolutely. So these are fun to talk about, but they don't really matter, yep. do they? No, no. It's just it's something to talk about during the off season, exactly. But <laughs> well, we've got something to talk about that does matter, yes. and that is who the best wide receivers are at SEC schools in history. And we've had some viewers chime in and give us who they think the best wide receiver is ever at their school. Yes. But before we get to that, let's pause for this week in sports history. April 26, 1931, Lou Gehrig was called out for passing a runner after hitting a home run. The mistake was a costly one, as it resulted in him not winning the American League home run title. Yankee Lynn Laurie was on first base when Lou hit the home run, but Laurie thought the ball was caught by an outfielder. When Laurie left the field, Lou was called out for passing the runner. At the end of the 1931 season, when Gehrig was tied with Babe Ruth with 46 home runs, people realized that Lynn Laurie had cost Lou Gehrig the AL home run title. Oh, thank you. Last week, we asked you, as our listeners... Who is the best wide receiver at your favorite college? And we've got some very interesting responses that we want to share with you today. We're going to start off with a a team that we believe is pretty much already in the SEC, even though this coming season, they're going to have one more season in the Big 12. Exactly. And the vote we got from Oklahoma, which, frankly, if you look at the offenses that Oklahoma's run, they've been pretty impressive Absolutely. Heisman Trophy winners at quarterback, yep. uh, but the vote came in for C.D. Lamb, currently that's, playing for the Cowboys. I was going to say that's a really good choice. <laughs> Any argument there? Oh no, I have not. I think that's a great choice. I mean, there's been some really good receivers yeah. come through Oklahoma, yeah. but he's he's strong and and he's showing in the pros as well. So yeah, yeah, good pick. We had a pick come out from West Virginia. We have some listeners up in West Virginia. And the pick was Tavon Austin. Again, don't think you can argue. He was a good one. Yeah, definitely. Played a, Now, he's he's not in the NFL anymore. I don't believe so. He did he did play for several he, years. He, he had a few years, never in a prominent role, I don't think. So but, quick. Yeah. Quick. Super fast. Yeah. Of course, that's, you know, a lot of those West Virginia teams that were so incredible, that's what they were built on. Just incredible yeah. speed, team speed. Absolutely, yeah. We had a vote come in for A&M, so kudos to Aggies fans that's right, for Aggies chiming fan. in. Mike Evans. Oh, that's, to me, I can't argue that one at all. That's a no-brainer. He was incredible. And just like we were talking before, he's been incredible in the pros as well. He's still yeah. having, a, having, a, having a great career in Tampa. My initial thought on A&M was Christian Kirk, who is also having a pretty good career in the NFL, not at the level of Mike Evans, but he was a heck of a player at A&M. He was. He was. But Mike Evans was so spectacular. Mm -hmm. I mean, the stuff he did, it's just really incredible. Yeah. 
For Alabama, we had a vote. Uh, we actually had two votes, one for Amari Cooper and one for Devontae Smith. Wow. Devontae Smith, yard-wise, touchdowns, yep. edges Cooper, yep. but there's more that goes into it than, than, yeah. than just the statistics. I would have to go with Amari Cooper here. I think, honestly, I would agree, just because he would do things just on the regular that made you go, Heck, what is that? <laughs> what does that do, man? <laughs> and even though Alabama didn't put up the offensive numbers that Oklahoma typically does, right, right. when you look through the list of great receivers that have come out of Alabama, mm-hmm. it's very impressive. It's an impressive list for sure. So we had a vote come in for uh, for from a Tennessee fan choosing Peerless Price. That's a great pick. Had a great career at Tennessee, a good career in the NFL. But, Darren, you're giving me the look, and I know you're not a Tennessee (laughs) fan, but you're kind of looking at me like uh, there's somebody else that you have in mind. Well, you know, during the days of uh, early Tennessee days or early in my life, if Tennessee was playing, you you basically had no choice. That was was the only game that, that, that radio played in and around, even in middle Tennessee. So you listen to a lot of Tennessee. My My dad was a Tennessee fan, so I had no choice uh, to, but to listen to Tennessee games on Saturday. And the name that immediately pops into my head is Willie Galt. Mm. I mean, that guy was so fast. And so, I mean, not only did he have a, a good NFL career, had an incredible career at Tennessee, had a good NFL career, but talking about showing your age, if you're playing Super Tech Mobile on Nintendo, I mean, you wanted to choose the Raiders because you had Bo Jackson and Willie Gaunt, and nobody could stop you. You just run all over everybody. So, I mean, Willie Gaunt had had that going for him as well. But, man, that's a – if you have conversation about great Tennessee wide receivers, you have to talk about Willie Gaunt. At least I think so. You you almost convinced me with the Tecmo Bowl reference. (laughs) You know, that's a third layer that you've got to look at. (laughs) It's interesting, though, that – the, the person who 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 uh, who submitted Peerless Price's name is actually we've had him on the show before, yep. Brandon, uh-huh. and he didn't even use his last name. He just wrote in all caps, Peerless. <laughs> well, and that's understandable because it's not like he had a bad career. I yeah. mean, that's a he had an incredible career at Tennessee. Great wide receiver. Yep. We had a vote from Vanderbilt for Jordan Matthews. That's right. Again, that's who that was my pick last week as well. I think, I mean, he's still in the top five in the conference in all-time leading yards, still at the top at Vanderbilt, had a, had a good NFL career. You can't dispute what he's done, especially coming out of Vanderbilt. Yeah. And for LSU, we had a vote for Jamar Chase. And this was a little interesting. I know, Jamar, you look at the championship run in 2019. And he was just phenomenal, yep, yep. big-time receiver. Uh, I asked the person, well, if you didn't pick Jamar, who do you pick? Justin Jefferson. So obviously this is a younger person. Right. <laughs> My response was, well, I probably would put Josh Reed above both of those. And it was this look like, who? <laughs> I think I've heard of him before. It rings a bell. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, go back. Josh Reed's yeah. all he, he stepped up when they played Alabama when it counted the most. And, and you can make the same argument for Jamar Chase yeah, as well. Absolutely. But um, but you look at the the pro career. Josh Reed had a great career. Jamar is just getting started. So far, so good. Justin Jefferson is off the charts, yep. playing with probably not a top tier quarterback, 
and still producing big time. Yeah, but definitely. um but you know the, these questions are funny because are fun because um it, it's just everybody's opinion. Yeah. And so we we argue our opinions, but we really don't have the uh the empirical evidence to back those right. up as fact. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we appreciate everybody for for sharing with us who they who they voted for their top receiver. I noticed nobody from Arkansas, nobody from Ole Miss, nobody from Mississippi State. No Longhorn fans. No Longhorn fans. No Oklahoma State fans. I mean, Mm. come on. Yeah. So we got some people that need to step up as we throw these questions out there. Where are you, Baylor? That's right. That's right. And even last week we talked about outside of the conference. Where are you, Florida State? Where are you, Ohio State? (laughs) Well, speaking of out of conference – that leads to the last question we're going to talk about yep, today. Yep. And that was one we posed to to all you listeners last week. If your team, your school, could play one non-conference opponent every year, who would you pick? And Darren, you and I have kicked this around for our schools. And so I'm going to let you go first. As, as a Vanderbilt Commodore fan, you chose... I chose Notre Dame because I, I like the idea of two private schools uh, having the opportunity to play year in and year out in football. I like the idea of, and, and you know, there's a little bit of a selfish note to this. If you as Vanderbilt play Notre Dame year in and year out, uh, that ups your brand. That creates more, even more coverage uh, for you outside of the traditional SEC market. Uh, and it's kind of a matching of two uh, academic schools uh, in a non-academic setting, you know, playing football. Uh, so uh, to me, that would be really interesting. I honestly had another school that uh, when talking to um, JT Jazzy Chef, he threw out. But and so I, I bantered back and forth and debated in my head, but I went with Notre Dame, and I'm going to not say that school just in case uh, he can submit that when we ask for, for for listener feedback. So I won't steal his answer, but I'm going to I'm going to go with Notre Dame. So Notre Dame, mm-hmm. are they still living off their brand? I mean, oh, absolutely. The times they've made it into the playoff, they've just been pummeled. And and I don't see anything really turning around for them. No, and and they, the fact that they are the only team in the entire country that has their own TV deal, uh, that has exclusive, uh, even if you're just flipping channels, you can stumble across a Notre Dame game every single Saturday, no matter what. You don't have to go to SEC Network Plus or ESPN Plus or Big Ten alternate channel. You know, you can stumble across. That builds a national brand that gives you, you know, recruiting uh, ammunition. It, I mean, it does everything you need marketing to do for you. It, it takes care of it every single Saturday, week in and week out. I, I think without the NBC deal and being an independent, I don't even know that we'd be having conversations about them making the, the poll uh, because of them being an independent. I think they would be in the same situation as everybody else. But that elevated national brand, because of that extended television contract, I think just makes all the difference in, in the world. Yeah, and Notre Dame sometimes their fan base can be a little condescending. They they, uh, yes. they get beat, and then they start bringing up, "Oh, it's harder to recruit at Notre Dame because our academic standards are so much higher." 
And one thing that would intrigue me about this matchup is mm -hmm. they can't pull that card against exactly. Vanderbilt. That's exactly right. And when Vanderbilt beats them, mm -hmm. what's the excuse then? Yep, that's exactly right. And, you know, honestly, there's there's quite a few schools that that have that uh, that difficulty. Uh, you know, you could talk about Wake Forest in the, SC, in the ACC, of course, Vanderbilt in the SEC and Notre Dame. And so there were, were other options that they could have went with, but but I'm thinking – you want to match somebody that has that kind of exact same difficulty and, and you want to elevate, you, you know, you want to, you want to elevate. Uh, Wake Forest would have also been another option mm. potentially, but, Man. but I, I'd prefer to, yeah. I'd prefer to elevate. Yeah. I like it. it. It makes a lot of sense on, on so many levels. When when I look at LSU, if there was a school and this was a tough one, I, I, I kind of went back and forth on two or three different ones but I finally landed with Michigan. Okay. Now you have two national brands. And my sneaky suspicion is there's not a lot of folks from Ann Arbor who've come down to Baton Rouge. There's not a lot of folks from Baton Rouge who've gone up to Ann Arbor. I agree. In fact, probably a lot of folks in Baton Rouge didn't think twice about Ann Arbor until <laughs> Les Miles came. And all of a sudden, oh, Les Miles, he, he's from Michigan? What? Yeah. Okay, well... Um, so I think it would be very intriguing on a number of levels. Mm -hmm. it, even even from a, a weather standpoint, like I know that when LSU would host, they would want that game in September. Absolutely. When Michigan hosts, they'd be looking at late October, November. The Absolutely. colder, the better. So on so many levels, I, I think also bringing – both those schools have a chance to bring their brand into territory where their brand mm -hmm. is not recognized mm -hmm. uh, very much. And the personalities. You have Harbaugh, which, yep. you know, I'd like to see after he comes down to Baton Rouge, he gets beat. He's still going to have a good time in Baton Rouge. Okay, <laughs> it's Louisiana. Uh, well said, well said. And Brian Kelly going back up. Not It's not South Bend, but it's the same general area. Yeah. Yep. So I, I vote for Michigan. You also had the SEC Big Ten connection there yeah, I think that's a big uh, because the, the Big Ten is is constantly trying to um, emerge from the SEC shadow yeah, absolutely so for a number of different reasons I'd love to see a Big Ten SEC challenge kind of like how they do in basketball yeah. what if they did that in football I think that would be incredible uh, I think there'd be a whole lot more logistics of it because you can't yeah. you can't give up a week necessarily every year but even if they just had one game every year that was the SEC Big Ten challenge and, you know, you rotated teams who played, you know, Michigan, LSU, and then the next year, you know, Alabama, Michigan State, and the next year, you know, this is strictly because I'm a Vanderbilt fan. Nobody else is going to think this. But the next year, Vanderbilt, Purdue. You know, I mean, there, there would be so many angles you could do and have it be a big draw every single year, kind of like what they do in Atlanta with that kickoff game every year, make it an exclusive SEC Big Ten. I think that would be really interesting. And it might actually be realistic scenario with the yep. expansion of the playoff. That's exactly right. Because just like I think when we were talking about this last week, you said you can take that risk because with a 12-team playoff, a loss is not going to end your playoff hopes. Yeah. And as as football fans, we want to see the best teams play each other. Mm -hmm. We want to see the best teams play each other Absolutely. with their best players on the field. Absolutely. Um you know, some of these games we, we've talked about, Alabama's, they have a game every November. Yep. You know, they're all of a sudden they're playing. Um, ULM is yeah. what they play now. But, right. And then it would, 
Alabama's going to Ann Arbor in November, you, you know, instead mm. of that game, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, imagine the, the, the audience for that game. Oh, my goodness. That would be incredible. Mm. I think that would be very fun. Well, college football, are you listening to us? That's We're right. giving you, you lots be. of good ideas That's right. to expand your brand even further. Well, I, speaking of football, we need to very, very quickly talk about the XFL playoffs are set. Okay. Uh, they are in full motion now. USFL is two weeks in, and, and the, the leaders are already kind of extending themselves and showing you've got Birmingham and, and, and uh, New Orleans again. Uh, so that's, but we're early in the season, but the XFL playoffs are set. Uh, next Saturday, uh, the Arlington Renegades will play the Houston Roughnecks in the first game of the first round. And then the Seattle Sea Dragons, who won their way into the playoffs, did exactly what I said they were not going to do last week, uh, dethroning the the St. Louis um, Battlehawks and, and, uh, because they won their game against the Vegas Vipers. Uh, they will play Sunday uh, at 2 p.m. and then the Saturday night game is at 7 p.m. or 6 p.m. So those are, those are our first two rounds of the playoffs. So Arlington, Houston, and who does Seattle play? Seattle plays DC, the DC, DC. Defenders, which is the clear in a way the best team mm-hmm. uh, in the in the the XFL. I would assume, unless somebody just sneaks up and has a game, uh, that that's who's going to be your first XFL champion, or at least this iteration of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fun continues. That's right. We're still going. We're still watching people play football. You can't beat it. <laughs> and we appreciate you listening to yes. us talk about people playing football and basketball and baseball and professional and college sports. Thank you for continuing this journey with us. We'd love to hear from you. If we yes. didn't talk about your school today and the best wide receiver ever in your school's history, let us know. Contact us and say, hey, I'd like to put my vote in for and, and name the player, and we'll be sure to mention that player next week on yes. on the show. But in, in, until next week, remember that new episodes drop every Tuesday at 6 a.m. You can listen to us at any time on whatever podcast platform that you prefer to listen to. We do appreciate you listening. And until next week, y'all take care. Have a great week. Thank you for making the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast your go-to sports show. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show if you haven't already. Your feedback is so important. Let us know what you think about this week's show. Send an email to brewandshavers at gmail.com or a text to our text line 318-390-3599. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for listening to the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast. See you next week.